Okay, I want to speak this morning, I have the opportunity to speak a kind of one-off uh, word for us. I'm going to speak on something that I've been living with and being burdened with for some time. And uh, the title of this um, word is How to Be a People of Hope, 2017. I don't know how you feel about it in this country at the moment, uh, but it's not been very good really. And a lot of things have gone on, some real tragedies and difficulties. And it's resulted in a lot of people feeling very hopeless. Maybe you're one of them. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I don't have a lot of hope. And I want to speak on how to be a people of hope fundamentally in a world without hope. If you were to go out of here just now and go up to the high street or somewhere and ask people, uh, have you got a lot of hope? And if so, what are you putting your hope in? I think you'll have very, very few positive responses to that. If I was to ask you to turn to your neighbour right now, I won't, but if I was to ask you to turn to your neighbour now and say, what are you putting your hope in? What are you hopeful about? And you're not allowed to mention God or your Christian faith. I think it'll be a very short conversation. Because the reality is we're living in a world where there isn't a lot of hope around. Small commodity. And as we look this morning about how we should be a people flooded with hope, if you remember the series we did earlier this year called Shine, if I had had another Sunday, and I have one, it's just now, I would have added this. Because if there's, any, if there's anything that will make you and me different, from the environment that most of us live in would be that in a world without hope, you and I had lots of hope. And we were able to impart that hope to those people around us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. Well known, actually, to most of you. And it says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, love. Three. But the greatest of these is love. So, it's appropriate that you hear many sermons, uh, many encouragements about the love of God. Love trumps everything. We have gifts of the Spirit and we don't have love, it's just a noise. Love is absolutely key and vital. And it's appropriate that we hear sermons on faith. Um, and I hope you do hear lots of words on faith and lots of people talking about faith. Faith is an absolutely vital commodity, commodity, particularly in the Western world. But you know, hope sneaks in there at number three. So you hear loads of sermons on love and faith, but I, I, my, my, my friend Hope gets into the top three. I haven't heard many sermons on hope. I haven't heard a lot of people talking a lot about hope. I think hope is massive. I think it's huge for our lives. And it's massive need of the world today. Let me quote to you from a man called John Ortberg. And this is what he says. And hold on to your seatbelts because this is really powerful stuff. I hope it will come behind me. There it is. Hope is the fuel that the human heart runs on. A car crash or a diving accident can paralyze a body, but the death of hope paralyzes the spirit. 
We can survive the loss of an extraordinary number of things, but no one can live without hope. When it is gone, we are done. Do you know, this is maybe why things are very bleak around us. This could be a reason that the major cause of death in men between the age of 18 and 24 in this country is suicide. I mean, why does anybody take their own life? Hopelessness has to be one of the reasons. There's no hope. We've got no future. There's nothing to live for. And John Altberg's right. When hope has gone in your life, I mean, what's the point of living? What's the point of going forth? If there's nothing to hope for or hope in, Turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. This is a wonderful verse. It's where I'm going to center our thoughts today. Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Two things from that verse. Number one, notice the phrase at the beginning, may the... God of hope. First thing is this. The God we've been worshipping this morning, one of his names, one of his titles is the God of hope. He is the God of hope and not just a hopeful God. You need to really grasp that. He's not a God that's hoping everything will turn out all right, and if it doesn't, well, hey-ho, we had a good shot at it. Maybe we'll make it, maybe we won't. That describes me. <laughs> Sometimes I'm really hopeful about, oh dear, circumstances have changed. I'm not so hopeful after all. That's not what God's like. He's not hoping it'll all turn out in the end okay. There was a, uh, a bit of teaching went on a few years ago around certain circles, and it was something like this. God is never in a bad mood. And when I heard that, I, was, I thought, I'm not quite sure I like that. And I thought to myself, why don't I like that? And I think it's because the word God and mood probably shouldn't be in the same sentence. Because the opposite to God being a, in a bad mood, which is obviously what this is about, is that he's always in a good mood. I don't think God's moody at all. And when it comes to the God of hope, it describes a God who's unchanging. Hope is his very nature. It's his essence. Hope is not even an attribute of what God might be. It's who he is. It's him. He cannot change. He's an unchanging God, which means that he has hope all the time, yesterday, today, and forever. It's impossible for him not to be hope. Therefore, our hope begins and ends with him. If you are hoping in your circumstances changing and then you'll have hope, you'll never make it. If you're hoping in really in other people, they will let you down. If you're hoping in your feelings changing or you're hoping inside yourself that somehow I will produce hope, then I haven't got very much good news for you today. But if you know the God of hope, 
And if you know how to access the God of hope more and more into your life, then it just changes everything. And even when there's no hope around you, this is really weird, you can still be full of hope. Because your hope is not in the things around you, but in God alone. Abraham experienced this. Let me remind you of this in Romans chapter 4, verse 18. It's a strange phrase, but it's so powerful. In hope, Abraham believed against hope. It's a strange phrase. In hope, God, Abraham, believed against hope. Why? Well, because there wasn't any hopeful signs. And it goes on to say that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. So God had promised him that he would have a child and his wife as well. And in Romans 4, it goes on to say he considered his body, and he said, he was 100 years old, so he said, well, I'm pretty, I'm as good as dead. And he looked at his wife, who was 99, and thought, there's not a lot of hope there either. <laughs> this is not a very hopeful situation. So how can God possibly give them a child? Well, he believed in the God of hope. And because he believed in the God of hope, a miracle happened. Because his hope was not in himself, but only in God alone. Therefore, and I haven't got time to do this in a great deal this morning, you, are, you will be amazed how many scriptures there are throughout the Old and New Testament referring to the word hope. I'll just give you a few. Psalm 39 verse 7 the psalmist says, and now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Some of you are waiting for things to happen, and you're looking at yourself and thinking, well, uh, where's this all going to come from? The answer is, like the psalmist, my hope is in you. Psalm 42, verse 5. This is powerful. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? I I have to say, I identify with this. Do you ever get downcast, a bit fed up? And I, I find I'm, I, I sometimes think, David, why are you so fed up? I speak to myself. Why are, you, why are you in turmoil? Why are you so low? And this is the answer the psalmist gets for all of us who are a bit like this. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Every time it's hopeless, you can know hope in God because you can speak to yourself and say, well, it's not going to come from here. I'm going to hope in you, Lord. Psalm 71 is really interesting. It's David at his worst point, and he's surrounded by enemies, scoffers, people that are accusers, people that are giving him a really hard time. And you should read Psalm 71, because in the midst of it, verse 5, he says, For you, O Lord, are my hope. And I love this, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. It's kind of declaring there that whatever the seasons of life, young, middle-aged, or old, God will always be this God of hope whom you can trust. Verse 14, surrounded by accusation and scorn, he says, But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. So when we get into hopeless situations, I think a whole lot of us try to find lots of different answers. And we're failing to see that the answer is that you can be very close to the God of hope who can invade your life. And if you don't believe that hope is in the Bible an awful lot, then try this for size. Lamentations. I mean, the very title of the book is a hint 
It's about lamenting that, you know when you read through the Bible, it's always that, Bible in a year can be a bit of a pain because you get to lamentations. It's kind of like, oh my goodness, how depressing is the next week going to be? Do you know what? In Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 21 to 24, it says this. But this I call to mind. It's interesting, in worship, uh, James mentioned the fact that people had often said, but then God. Notice Psalm 71, we just read it, but I will continue. And here it says, but, in the midst of all these difficulties, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And I look at this in Lamentations and think, well, what did you call to mind? What did you have hope for? And then he tells us, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Matt Redman didn't write it. <laughs> it was in the Bible. Oh, that's the first time you hear that. The psalmist has got hope in God because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I'm not going to get this evening's crowd to sing that song because they've never heard of it in their lives which says something about the age of this congregation but we'll press on so the God of hope second thing from this verse if you look back at Romans 15 verse 13 it ends with this so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you abound in hope so the second thing is we, the people of God, surely we are supposed to reflect who God is. And if God is hope, surely we, therefore, are a people of hope. And not just a hopeful people. I sometimes think that as Christians, we think we should be more hopeful than we are. <laughs> if only I could be a more hopeful kind. No. You can be flooded with hope because the God of hope is reflected through his body on earth, the people of God. So this morning's message, wonderfully theologically true though it is that God is a God of hope, it doesn't stop there for Paul in Romans 15, 13. The whole point of there being a God of hope is that you might be flooded with hope. So here's good news this morning. Every person in this room who knows the Lord can be a person full of hope. How do we become people of hope? Number one. If we live in him, he promises to live in us. But I don't think that that is automatic. Just because you believe in the God of hope doesn't mean you're a person of hope. The difference is when you live in the God of hope, he promises to live in you. So if I live in the God of hope daily, eventually his hope will begin to flood my life. The word if is really important. It's a choice. 
Every time we come into a hopeless situation, we have a choice. We can either look elsewhere or look at ourselves or grit our teeth to get through, or we have a choice. I'm going to live in the God of hope because I don't think I can get through this. Let me save you an awful lot of time and energy. You can't. And you'd be much better off if you would come quickly to the God of hope and often say to him, God, I, Father, I just can't get through this. I know that you're the God of hope. I'm in a hopeless situation. But if I put my trust in you and live in you, surely you will live in me. And it reminds us of John chapter 15 when Jesus said, If you abide in me, then I will abide in you. Christians become fruitful when they choose to abide in the vine. Being a Christian does not automatically make you fruitful. It's Christians who choose to abide in Jesus that makes them bear forth fruit. So the word if is really important for us to become a people of hope. I don't think we'll ever become people of hope unless we choose to live in him. Which is why Psalm 42 was so important for some of us. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Come on, hope in God. He's making a decision. He's making a choice at that moment. If he puts his hope in God, then God will flood him. I've known many times in my life, even recently, where I can honestly say I've been so discouraged and so kind of close to the edge on things, wondering, I don't know whether this is going to work or we're going to get through this. And I've sat in my little pity party for too long thinking maybe there's some other solution, a conference or someone that can lay hands on me that's all part of my pity party as well and realising this is the same thing down through the centuries and it never changes I don't have to do those things because in my moment of despair I can go to the God of hope if you're still looking at Romans 15 verse 13 you'll see may the God of hope fill you And one of the things he fills you with is hope. You and I can absolutely be people of hope because we choose to live in him. Do you choose daily to live in God? Because if you do, then you will be filled with hope. When you became a Christian, you weren't saved and taken out of the kingdom of darkness and just left in some vacuum to get on with it. The Bible says that you were taken out of the kingdom of darkness and you were placed into the kingdom of light. You were placed into the kingdom of God's son. You were actually, the phrase that's used most in the New Testament is you were placed into Christ. So the moment you were placed into Christ, that is now your identity and now your position. This is what it says to those who've been placed into Christ. Colossians 1.27 To them, God chooses to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, you just got to understand this inside of you now, not just this God of hope at a distance, but this God of hope has come to dwell within you. And he declares himself, the hope of glory has come to dwell in your life. The hope that we want is our very identity. The God of hope dwells within you and within me. That's the first way you become a people of hope. If we live in him, he will live in us. Secondly, back to chapter 15 verse 13. 
It says this, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So being a hopeful person or a person full of hope isn't self-effort or trying hard. It's a work of the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is never an option for any Christian. The Holy Spirit is essential for the Christian life. I can't read my Bible without the Holy Spirit and understand it. I can't worship without the Holy Spirit. I can't pray without the Holy Spirit. I can't relate to you lot without the Holy Spirit. You certainly can't relate to me without the Holy Spirit. I've got a marriage, but it won't work without the Holy Spirit. I raise kids and grandkids with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing in the Christian life that's devoid of the need of the help of the Holy Spirit. And hope is exactly the same. If you and I want to be people flooded with hope, then it's going to be a work of the Spirit. Now, why is this so important? And why is it such good news for a whole crowd of people in this room here today? The reason that it's good news and so important is that hope doesn't depend on your temperament or your personality. This room is full of people who are are half-empty glass people And there's a whole load of other people who are half full people when it comes to a glass of water. You're looking a bit blank. But you understand. I wish I wasn't getting to this illustration because I always get them all confused. You know what I mean. So take Liz and me. She's definitely a half full person. And she's bright. and, uh, And a happy disposition. And naturally is warm and positive and outward going and, and, and just sees so many wonderful things in so many things every day of her life. Then she married me. <laughs> I am glum. I get low. I, I don't have the same outlook on life that she does. I'm quick to see all the negative things around. I'm quick to see all the, oh no, I'm always moaning and complaining and glum so we have an issue and the issue for me is this this is why this is such really good news see because I'm a Christian melancholic and if you're a Christian melancholic here this morning trying desperately to be hopeful from now on just because you're a Christian it's not going to work And so what's the answer? Because this is is just great news. If you're anything like me, or any shade of it, (laughs) you're thinking, how on earth am I going to be a person of hope? My whole life is different to this. Here's the wonderful news. It's not dependent on your temperament. It's absolutely not dependent on your personality. The Holy Spirit has the power to change you. The Holy Spirit has the power to make Christian melancholics almost unrecognizable because of what God is in their life. And here's here's the answer. This is why scripture says it so often. Live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when you do that, you start to be flooded with hope, just like everybody else. I'm not as bad as I used to be. So my wife says. And here's a word for Liz Holden and others like her. Those of a happy, natural disposition. That's not going to make it either. So when you hit the fan, oh, I'll be all right, I've got happy disposition. I'm looking at some of you, I know some of you, you're like this, you're just always annoyingly joyful. <laughs> you're always looking on the bright side of life. Listen, 
That's not going to get you through. Good news for the glum people amongst us. We're desperate for the Holy Spirit. Good news for those of a happy disposition, because you're going to need the Holy Spirit just as well. It's not personality. It's not temperament. This is why you can be this morning a person beginning the journey. It's not going to happen overnight where you become a person. You used to be so glum, and now you're not as glum as you used to be. (laughs) Number three, we get flooded with hope when we know and live in God's purposes. His promises are absolutely wonderful. And as I get to know his promises and then live in his promises, I am flooded with hope. God has made amazing promises over our lives. We're not yet experiencing all of them. So what do we do in the meantime? The Bible clearly indicates we should hope for these promises. We should wait for these promises. And when you're hoping, sorry, when you're waiting for these promises, it can go one or two ways. It can either make you want to throw in the towel and just give up and go away, or it can make you to be somebody that longs and leans into the very thought of that promise becoming a reality is flooding me with hope. It's a bit of a strange verse, but it's so powerful. Romans 8, verse 24 to 25, Paul says this, For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Just get that for a moment. Hope that is seen is not hope. Now hope that is seen is not hope for those who hope for what he sees. For if we have what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. In other words, if you've already got everything, you don't have to hope. But if there are things you have not yet experienced, they're they're down the road as it were, you are waiting for them, then obviously... As you wait with patience, you become flooded more and more with hope. We become a people of hope when we're waiting in the midst of hopelessness. Abraham had no encouragements, but he hoped in God. You might be in a situation this morning, you think, David, if you really knew my situation, there's nowhere to turn. There's just no hope anywhere. I can't see anything. I would say to you, but what has God said? And immediately the perspective changes. Because then you're thinking, well, actually, God did say that he would do this. And he hasn't yet, right? No, he hasn't. So is he faithful? Will he keep his promises? Well, well, if you're a good Christian, you go, yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) So the answer is then, if that's true, then why are you giving up? It's impossible for God to not keep his promises, every one of them. Because he's a faithful God and he's true to his promises. They're just delayed. They're round the corner, but they're on their way. Therefore, we need to be full of hope, which is why Hebrews 11 verse 1, I can't believe how much the word hope comes in the Bible. Here it is again, describing faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. So while we're waiting, if we will be people of faith, however tough it gets, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm trusting, I'm trusting, faith begins to rise and the Bible says the promises of God are received by faith. It wasn't a trick question. <laughs> by faith. Do you know if you're saved here this morning, do you know how you're saved? By faith. And that's how every other promise in the Bible is received by all Christians. You can't do it through works, it's by faith. God is faithful, his promises are true, we're waiting, we're flooded with hope. 
Finally, number four, how do we become a people of hope? We need to learn how to overcome disappointments. And sometimes disappointments can lead to discouragement. And there are certain things in life that rob us of hope, drain away the hope that we once had. I just want, this isn't my message, but just going to throw this one as a backdrop. We do, the Bible says, have an enemy. And part of his purpose is to rob us of the life of God within us. He can't take us out of the battle because the Bible says none shall pluck us out of his hand. The devil knows that. But if he can make you as ineffective as possible, then you won't be very much good in the battle after all. You don't get taken out, but you're just kind of floating around. The reality is this. There are things that happen in life that drain our hope away. And there are people here this morning who are just like this. You once hoped, but something's happened. And the hope that you once had is no longer there. Delays is an obvious one. When things you were hoping for, in the instant society we live in now, this is really getting increasingly difficult. Just want to press a button and even then we complain that it's too slow. (laughs) But the reality is, God doesn't have to jump when we press buttons because he's doing all sorts of other things in our lives. He does things for our good and his timing is perfect. So the delay that you're going through at the moment, which is robbing you of hope, God hasn't left you. So sometimes we get robbed of hope because of delays. Next one is people. We can, we can so often put our hope in people without realizing they're like us. And if you know you, you'd never put your trust in yourself. And so people get very, very disheartened and disappointed because people let them down. Hello. It's called planet Earth. Then there's circumstances. You hoped it would be like this, and then all the circumstances changed. I was talking to someone just this week. They had hoped in something. Everything is just one disaster after another. And it drains us of our hope because our circumstances, we said, please, if these circumstances could change, then I will hope in God. It never happens that way. We need to learn how to hope in God in the midst of our circumstances. Maybe it's the church. Maybe some of you have been in churches. Maybe it's this church, New Community Church. You, you had such high hopes of the vision and it didn't become a reality in the way you thought it would. And you had hoped the church would be this. The hope the church would give that to you. And you're putting your trust in the church rather than the one who's building it. And then people get their hope robbed from them by just living in the UK. I mean, I'm not quite sure why everyone wants to come and live here, to be honest. Right now, it's a fundamentally very depressive kind of culture. Most people are terribly negative. It's hard and cynical. Consumerism is rife. Everyone's living for themselves. It's a bit like the barbecue that I did yesterday evening. I always, when I do barbecues, I think I'll always manage to stay away from it so that my clothes don't get full of smoke and I don't have to have another shower. It never works. I always end up having a shower because it kind of clings to you. Like hours later, you can still sniff it on everything. And that's what it's like being in society. Unless you're learning how to hope in God, eventually it drains the hope from you. You start to go under, it clings to you, start to blend in. Become hopeless like everybody else. 
Proverbs 13, last verse, verse 12. This is amazing. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred, delayed, postponed, even lost, can make the heart sick. I, I literally know people who, who have so hoped in something, it's been so deferred, they kind of say, well, I'm never going to put my trust in that again. And some people, literally, I know, are physically sick because it's kind of crippled them and made them very bitter. And if it's not physical, then certainly it's true spiritually. You can have hoped in God and then things have happened and drained your hope away from you to the point now that you, you just are spiritually sick. You had such high hopes. Now you're low, depressed, about to give up. Do you know what? It's not God's will for you to stay like this. And it's not God's will for you to live in this pool of despair. You actually can't live there. You need to draw a line this morning. Some of us need to overcome this hope deferred. And when I speak to people whose hearts are affected by this and hope deferred, these very quickly are the things I say to them. I want to encourage them. Maybe it's because I've been there myself so I know. Firstly, remind yourself of truth. Always keep asking yourself, what did God say? What did God say? Because that's the truth that set you free. If your hope is deferred, keep asking, what does God say? It changes the perspective and you start to worship. Secondly, renew your mind. It's in your thinking and your mind where depression lurks the most. Most people who are depressed will tell you it's a mental health issue in terms of, it could be physical things that make you respond like this, but the thought patterns that come are so depressive. And so if we renew our minds, as the Bible tells us to do, by filling our mind with God's thoughts and his truth, then it will change our very behavior and our nature. Number three, I say to people, please make sure you're hanging out with the right people. In Galatians, Paul says to them, you are running so well, who cut in on you? He doesn't say what cut in on you. He says, who cut in on you? The people that you and I run with in this Christian life are really, really key. When I was an early Christian, I used to go to a house and hang out with certain people that were there. And it was pretty glum and pretty depressive and pretty cynical, pretty hard. And every time I went there, I, I became imbibed with all of this. Then I got married to the happy disposition person who would come along with me to this house and say, every time you go there, you change. You're not naturally like this, but you become like them, and it's a really negative thing on you. And I tried and tried and tried to kind of bring my uh, hopefulness into the situation. It just didn't work. This is the only thing I knew what to do was to stop going. And I stopped going. I didn't hang out with those people. Do you know what? I started to hang out with people who were actually energizing and full of hope. The, these people were going through just as difficult times as these people. It wasn't that these were the ones that was difficult and these were the ones where it's all happy, happy, happy. These were people genuinely going through things. But I just found when I was with them, it, it filled me with hope. So it's an important thing. Who are you hanging out with? Fourth thing is this, have fun. None of you thought I was going to say that. It's just so important that in the midst of your heart being deferred and going through difficult times of hopelessness, you do learn to have fun. 
Um, some of you just take yourselves far too seriously. I've got some mes- a message for you this morning. God doesn't take you nearly as seriously as you do yourself. Neither do any of us. And so what, what, what is the point of this? The point of this is this. That if you're driven and you're striving and you're trying really hard, then it just makes life even more difficult. The Bible says we have a yoke, but it's light and it's easy. And some of us need to cultivate a lifestyle. I've had to do this over the years of just doing things that are just fun. Jesus isn't the Hollywood picture that Hollywood wants you to believe. Hollywood has a problem because they know Jesus is really holy. And the only way they can describe holiness is to be serious and somber and quote Bible verses weirdly. I think Jesus is full of fun. And on his journey to the cross, there would have been moments of, of just wonderful laughter with his friends. I mean, feeding the 5,000, I mean, it must have been a lot of fun. You know, one for you, one for you. I think it was a riot. I think Jesus, the Son of God, was just like, Father, this is just amazing. It's wonderful. And the final thing is this. I'll close with this. We always have a future, both in this life and in the one to come. You have a future in this life. The best is yet to come. And so I say to people whose hope is deferred, all these things, and I would finish with this, come on, whatever you're going through, however difficult it is, is a good news. You have a wonderful future. And even into eternity, it's just even more wonderful. It kind of changes the perspective. I think the problem is we get weighed down with these momentary light afflictions. And the way you overcome it is to remind yourself of the glory and the heavenly weight that's yet to come. This is just, this is just, it may go on for longer than you think it should do, but it's nothing compared to what's coming. It just changes the perspective.